Now, in part of reflecting about the book of Romans, uh, it's, uh, it's not hard for us as we think about the Christian world, uh, that a lot of people have seen that the letter to the Romans is the greatest of all of Paul's writings. So uh, Paul's an apostle, and it appears as the first letter in the New Testament. So after the Gospels, right, the four biographies of Jesus, and after Acts, which is the history of the early church and the work of the Spirit, the first letter that the early church, guided by the Spirit, put into the Bible is the letter to the Romans. Uh, now, some say that Romans is not only the greatest of Paul's writings, it is the greatest book in the entire Bible. Right? 66 books in the Bible. Many people put Romans as sort of, if you can rank God's word, which we shouldn't, uh, some people put it on the top. Now, other people say that Romans is the greatest letter ever written, right? out of any writings in all the world, of which there are billions. Some people think that Romans is the greatest of them all. And when we deal with the letter to the Romans, we deal with hyperbole, right? We deal with extreme kind of uh, praise and, and regard, and rightly so, I think, right? This hyperbole that people speak about the letter to Romans is right, because Romans contains the longest and the deepest reflection on the gospel. It is the purest gospel, as Luther said, and the gospel is the most important subject matter, not just of the Christian faith, but of human knowledge. Right? The gospel is the most important subject matter, not just of the Christian faith, but of all Christian knowledge. Big claim, isn't it? But as we go through the series in Romans, I hope you come to see that it's true. Because we'll see that the gospel is the sole determiner of eternal things. Right? The gospel is the hinge by which eternity turns, which way you go. The gospel tells us about God and our relationship with him. The gospel tells us about how to get right with God and how to live rightly with God. That's why it's the most important subject matter of all human knowledge. Now, the uh, impact that Romans has had on Christendom, right, on Christian history has been huge. Now, there's some old fellas coming up here on the screen. You might know them, you might not. But they're very significant and influential men of the Christian faith who shaped it in a great way. Augustine, Luther, Wesley, Karl Barth. And God, through the book of Romans, worked in these people's lives so they shaped their lives to shape Christianity. And even at times in history when Christianity was going off track, where people taught the wrong things, as we moved away from the Bible, the book of Romans drew these people to draw the church back on track. Now, not only has the gospel of, uh, in Romans impacted these kind of great men, I'm sure it's had a great impact on many of us sitting here in this room as well. As you were sharing before, maybe some of you were very quick to be able to share a story about a verse or, or, a, or a sermon series or a Bible study you did in Romans that really, really impacted uh, your life. Uh, maybe many of us, through the words of Romans, have been convicted of our sin. For the first three chapters of Romans is really a dedication to exploring what sin is. Maybe it's brought us to faith. Maybe it's helped us to really deepen in our understanding of our Christian faith. The book of Romans has moved our souls, brought us to tears, made us soar with joy and be led closer to God through the gospel of his son. I'm sure that is true of many of us here in this room. And I have no doubt that over the next 14 weeks, 
as we go through this great letter, it will continue to have the kind of impact it has always had on the great men like we saw before and on people in this room. It will continue to have this huge impact on us. As we uh, read it for ourselves, hopefully, as we hear it preached and as we meditate upon it, as we live out its truths. You excited? Okay. Let's pray, okay, that uh, this series will do this for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the words that you caused to be written through your Apostle Paul in his letter to the Roman church. The impact that this uh, book has had on the Christian faith has been enormous. And we know this is true because uh, it contains the purest gospel, explained in full with such depth and power, power to transform and to change. And so we pray for the power of your word by the working of your spirit to be transforming us each week as we read your word for ourselves, as we hear it preached, as we meditate upon it, as we seek to live it out in our lives, both in shaping our thoughts and also our attitudes and our actions. We pray this morning as we look at the first half or the first chapter that you will help us to really grasp what the gospel is and begin us on this journey of deepening faith and also a desire to see others come to know the truth and the beauty and the transforming power of the gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we uh, dive into uh, the first half of chapter 1, it's helpful to know a few things by way of background, right? So, uh, Romans was written by Paul, as I've said already a couple of times. You can see that in verse 1. Uh, and uh, he tells us that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle is someone who has seen the resurrected Jesus and was specially commissioned by Jesus to bring his message to the world. Okay? So, we've got the original 11 because Judas died and hung himself. And then Paul was uh, recruited when Jesus uh, appeared to him on the road to Damascus, right? A famous story in Acts 9 you can read for yourself. Now, Paul was set apart to be an apostle, especially to bring the message to the Gentiles. Now, in the Jewish way of thinking, the world is split up into two. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, right? Just like you're male or female or you're Singaporean and everybody else. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, it's probably more China, isn't it? Zhongguo, center of the world, and everybody else. Um, no, but it's right, Jew and Gentile. Okay, so he's specially commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, as we tell, uh, and it was written probably around AD 57, 58. So AD 57, 58 is about 20 years after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended back into heaven. And as we saw last year, if you were around in the, in the uh, book of Acts, uh, it was a, a report, right, or a story of how Paul went around to Asia, right, all throughout Asia. He went around many times, and then he even went into Europe and preached the gospel there, all right, over two journeys. Uh, he went through Asia and then into Europe. And it's probably at that point in time where he wrote this letter, uh, probably either in Jerusalem or in Corinth, uh, where he wrote the letter to the church in Rome, Okay? So he hasn't actually been to Rome yet. It's pretty clear when you read the first chapter that he's not been to Rome. He's never met them. But we do know that they're Christians, that the gospel message had gone from uh, these areas in which it began and spread to Rome, but not through Paul. Probably through Jews who were scattered as part of the uh, uh, persecution that happened uh, in those early years of Christianity. But we know Paul hasn't met them, but he really wants to. Right? You read this first half chapter... He's desperate to get to Rome, 
And as you read on to the end of the letter, he wants to visit them and then go on to Spain. So if you don't know your geography, Spain is off the map further west, okay, around here somewhere. Okay? Because he wants them to help him to keep going on to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now the question we can ask as we look at this first chapter is, why was Paul so eager to visit? Right? And why was Paul so eager to visit? What was he so eager to do when he got there? And what does he write this letter that is so full of the gospel before he came? And why is that important for us to know today? Right? Why is that important for us to know today? Now, uh, that's what we're going to find out this morning. And what we're going to see is that Paul is on about one thing, and that is the gospel. Uh, and right from the start of the letter, he is going to major on what the gospel is. And God's word for us today, from this first half of chapter 1, is to see that the gospel is the power of God which saves everyone. Right? The, the gospel is the power of God which saves everyone. And we are to believe in the gospel, and like Paul, to be eager to promote it, to preach it to others. We are to believe and we are to be eager to preach it to others. Now, as you look at the beginning of this uh, letter, you, you see that Paul, the, the gospel so dominates Paul's mind that he barely finishes his introduction, right? In the beginning of every letter, usually they say who they are, right? Paul, an apostle. Then he usually says who they are to the church in Rome, and then there's greetings, grace and peace. But Paul is so keen to get into the gospel that he spends the first five verses before the, the introduction is even done to explain to us this gospel. And he says five things. Right, in these first five verses, uh, about what the gospel is. And then towards the end of this passage, in verse 16 to 17, he gives us a powerful summary of the gospel, which he'll unpack in the rest of this letter. Right? So five essential elements in the first five verses, and in one awesome summary in verse 16 to 17. Uh, first element. The gospel is God's gospel. Right? The gospel is about God, and the gospel is from God. Right? You see that in verse 1, the first thing he says is, the gospel of God is about God and from God. Now, it's important to, to think about, why, uh, about this because we often think that the gospel is about us, right? We think that the good news is, is about us. It's about our salvation. It's about us being planned, uh, blessed. It's about ourselves as the center of God's plan about our salvation and blessings. But as we'll hear over and over again in this letter, first and foremost, the gospel is about God. It's about God acting to save. It's about God revealing His righteous character. It's about how God achieves His purpose. And it's about how God is to be worshipped. It's about God. Now, the gospel is good because it is centered on God. Because God is the source of all that is good. If the gospel is centered on us, as we'll come to see, we are not good. Nothing good will happen if we are centered on us. But it's because it's centered on God and all things good come from God, then the gospel is good. Now, that's the first thing. It's about God. The second thing that is the gospel is from God. It's very important to see that it's not a human invention or a speculation. It originates from God Himself. It is revealed by God Himself. It is the news that God wants all of us to know. And we know that God has only revealed one gospel. And he insists that there is only one gospel, only one news that is true news, only one way that he has chosen to act. That's important to say because many of us would like to think that there are many ways to God, 
There are many good news, so to speak. But as we'll come to see, there is only one way that he's chosen to act. The other thing that's really great about the fact that the gospel comes from God is that don't we as humans yearn to hear from God? Uh, We all have a sense that there is a higher power, higher being to answer our deepest questions about who we are and why we are here and what we're supposed to do. The gospel is God speaking to us and answering our deepest questions. That's the beauty about the gospel that comes from God. Now, the second thing we see is that the gospel is grounded, grounded in history. So you see in verse 2, right, the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, right? So Romans 1, verse 2. Now, God's good news did not come out of the blue, right? It didn't just appear out of nowhere. It was a thousand years in the making. It was all recorded in the Old Testament, in the Word of God, in real history. The people, the places, the time frames are all part of human history. It's not legend. It's not just fairy tales. Now, we're very impressed, aren't we, when people can make predictions uh, and then they come true. You know, we, we love the idea of prophets who can predict the future. Well, God has been making predictions and making them come true for thousands of years. Be impressed by God. Now, we, we're really impressed when people make huge promises and then they keep them. Right? Wouldn't it be great if our politicians, our leaders, really made promises that were huge and kept them? We'd be so impressed. We appreciate if our parents made promises which they keep and they would be impressed. And sometimes I promise my kids, you know, I'll take them somewhere or give them a treat and then I don't f- fulfill it and then I feel kind of bad about it and I hope they forget, right? <laughs> but they never forget, right? You never forget, do you? Now God has been making the biggest promises of all history and he fulfills them all. Be impressed by God. Gospel is grounded in history. The next thing we see is that the gospel is about God's Son. Now, many of us know this, but it's important to say, right? But specifically, right, in verse 3, what is it about God's Son is that He is King, that God's Son is King. Have a look at verse 3. The gospel concerns His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that two verses you could preach for half an hour just on those two verses, right? But I'll give, I'll give it one minute, okay? Now, the Son is King in two very important ways. Right? The first is that He is the human, fleshly King. He is the promised human King in the line of David. That's what we see in verse 3. Right? One of the great prophecies in the Old Testament was a prophecy given to this King called David, uh, who, uh, that his son, a descendant of David, will become God's eternal king. And God would even call this king his son. That's how close a relationship that God would have with this Davidic king. He will be the anointed king, and he will be a righteous king, and he will be a victorious king who would rescue his people. But best of, best of all, he will be like a son to God, right? That's the Davidic king. Now, when Jews and Christians speak about the Messiah, that's what they're referring to, right? This Davidic king. Messiah just means Christ, because Messiah is Hebrew is Meshiach, if you wanted to say it in the Hebrew way. And in, in uh, Greek is Christos, same word, Christ. And all just means in English, anointed one. That's what we're talking about. So the human king in the line of David. Now the second we see in verse 4 is that he is king 
in the divine spiritual aspect. He is the eternal divine Son of God. Now this one, this truth came as a complete shock. The Old Testament did not reveal clearly that God was three in one, Trinity. It wasn't very clear in the Old Testament that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the gospel, when it was revealed, shows us this. And the power of the resurrection, when God the Father raised his Son from the dead, that was to show with power that he is the Son of God, as in the divine eternal Son. In that sense, he is king. Right? So we've got the human Davidic Messiah king, and we've got the Son of God, eternal divine king in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel reveals. Which is why it leads us to our next essential element, which is that the gospel is about being obedient to the Son. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, is king, then he must be obeyed. That's what kings uh, do, right? They rule, and the subjects follow. Messiah king, the divine king, he is to be obeyed, he is to be followed. Now, we see this in verse 5, right? It's, Paul's ministry of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Now, obedience of faith, in verse 5, there's a bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? Now, it could mean two things. Now, the first thing that obedience of faith could mean, it could mean that faith is obedience, right? The obedient response of faith. So the gospel uh, is a word from God. It's like a command, in a sense, and it needs responding to. So you obey the command by trusting it. That's what obedience of faith means, right? Obedience equal to faith. Uh, The second thing you could mean is that faith leads to obedience. The obedience that comes from faith. You understand that? So faith leads to a life of obedience that flows out from it. Now, if we truly believe the gospel, that the Son of God is our King, then we would live as such. We would live in obedience to this King. Now, so it follows, right? So that if Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah King and the Divine King, then He is to be obeyed. And it leads to the fact that who is to obey? Well, the Gospel tells us that everyone is to obey. The Gospel is for everyone. Now, verse 5, the second half there, it tells us that the Gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. If you skip down to verse 15, you will see that it's for the Greeks and the barbarians. Now, Greeks are like the sophisticated uh, Gentiles, and the barbarians are kind of the insulting term for the unsophisticated, the common Gentiles, right? And you see it in verse uh, 16 as well, to the Jews first and to the Greek. Jews, Greek, barbarians, everyone. That's what Paul is talking about. It's for everyone. You see, there is nowhere in this world, there is no time in history, past, present, or future, where Jesus is not Messiah, King, and divine God. Right? Nowhere and no time in which Jesus is not King. The gospel of God about His Son is the one message that He has given for everyone in all time to respond with faith. There are not as many claim and hope many ways to God. Now, I know you and I would love for it to be true. I mean, I do dearly wish that it was true that there are many paths and easy paths to God. But it isn't true that there aren't many paths to God and it isn't wide or easy because the barrier between us and God is so immense 
that there can only be one solution to our problems. There are other ways that people want for it to be true that can lead us to God. They, they cannot solve the problem that God has with us and that we have with God. The forces that we're up against is just too strong that it requires a singular, unique power to overcome. And that's what we're going to learn about the gospel, which is why it is the one gospel. There is only one way, and it involves God himself acting through his son for it to happen. And that will be explained in great detail over the coming weeks to show you why it has to be this way and no other way. Now, as we come to the end of these five elements, I want us to jump now to verse 16 and 17 and have a look at these verses very carefully. Now, these verses, I believe, give us the best and extremely powerful summary of the gospel. Right, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is our famous verses. Uh, let me just do a quick uh, holiness test. No, just kidding. Just a quick uh, poll. Who's memorized these verses in some shape or form? doesn't have to be exactly word for word. Yeah, got a few people memorize these verses. Uh, who would like to memorize these verses? This is a time where you all show me how holy you are. Right? Okay. Now, these are, these are verses that I, I think are worth memorizing. Maybe not word for word, but just the elements uh, of it. Because I think, and I hope you will see today and in the coming weeks, that it is one awesome, powerful summary of the gospel of God. And Paul says in these, in these verses that he is not ashamed. Right? He's not ashamed. He's proud of the gospel of God about his son. Why? Because the gospel is uniquely and singularly powerful to save. Because this gospel is to be believed. Because this gospel is for everyone. Because the gospel is the good news of how to get right with God and how to live rightly with God by this thing called faith. Now, like I said, every single word right, in this verse will be expanded on in the rest of the letter to the Romans. More to come. But that, that is what, the, what we've seen so far, isn't it? The gospel of God about His Son uh, is something completely to be unashamed about because it is the unique, singular power that can save everyone. And everyone is to respond by trusting in the gospel. Now, in light of this gospel, we see how it impacts Paul's life. And you see the implications for Paul. Um, just black that out. Now, in the opening of Paul's letter, we see how this gospel of God about his son, which is the biggest deal of, uh, in all history for all people, uh, impacts Paul and his life and what he does. Now, firstly, look at verse 8. Verse 8, right? Paul is so, so thankful to God that the people he is writing to, he doesn't know, he hasn't met. He is so thankful to God that they believe in the gospel and that their faith in the gospel is known throughout the world. Now, you've got to remember that Rome, Rome is the center of the world this time and people in Rome have come to know and maybe even beyond that they are believers in Jesus. Now, when we love and care for people, uh, we get pretty happy, right? when they know, uh, when something good happens to them. Is that true? Right? I mean, when something good happens uh, to people that we know and love and care for, uh, we are happy uh, as well. Now, many of you know that um, Steve and I are, are into the good news of uh, coffee. 
uh, and it's a, a good that we feel like most people, if everyone should know about. Uh, and when people discover proper coffee, uh, we're happy, right? Uh, now, the brew method doesn't matter. Espresso, uh, filter, even plunger, right? It's all good. Most important thing uh, is about the coffee. And you all know that there's a trinity in coffee? I don't know about the coffee trinity. Three. Three years, green beans, right? Uh, freshly plucked from the tree. Three years, it remains fresh for. Once you roast it, three weeks. Once you grind it, three minutes, okay? There's a rule. There's a trinity of coffee, okay? So if you go to the coffee shop, you say, has those beans, were they on the shelf for less than three years before you roasted them? All right, ask them. If they don't know, you go away, right? <laughs> and then you ask them, has it been roasted within the last three weeks? And then you see whether you watch them very carefully. Stay at the coffee shop for more than three minutes because you want to watch first. Is the coffee that they've ground just sitting there? Because if it's there for more than three minutes, you say, somewhere else. Life is too short for bad coffee, okay? <laughs> now, Sorry, sorry for the gospel of coffee right there, but when people discover coffee, I thank God. No, I don't thank God. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but I don't really care that much when people find out the good news of coffee. Not in the same way that I care, that Paul cares when people discover the good news of Jesus. I couldn't care less if you discover good coffee. I mean, it'd be nice, but I will not thank God for that. But I rejoice, as do the angels in heaven rejoice when people come to know Jesus Christ and come to trust him as their king and savior. And this is what we see with Paul. In every letter that he writes, except for one where he's very angry because they've deserted the gospel, he thanks God for their faith. He thanks God that people know how genuine their faith is that is spread throughout all the world. And some, it's a great thing for us to do, isn't it? To, to be able to ask ourselves whether we feel the joy of seeing people come to know the gospel of Jesus. And I often say sometimes we get so excited about coffee, so excited about Liverpool when they win 5-0, so excited about a new bag or a new car or a holiday. And it's good things to be happy about. But how does it compare with the happiness and joy and the thankfulness we have to God when we hear people come to know and respond to Jesus? So that's the first thing we see Paul do. Thankfulness to God. The second thing is that he's just so eager, super keen to see them so that he can encourage them even more with the gospel. Now have a look at verse 9, and I'm going to read to verse 15, right? Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Can you hear how desperate Paul is to go and visit his brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome? Can you hear it? Now, I wish I could read it more dramatically. Uh, he, he's praying about it all the time, right? He tells us. He, he's longing to see them soon. Why? Right, verse 11, he says, to impart a spiritual gift to them. And then in verse 12, 
so that they can be mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. Then in verse 13, to, to reap a harvest among them and among the other Gentiles. Now, what is this gift? What is this mutual faith? And what is this harvest? Well, the key is found in verse 15 and in the wider passage, right? Verse 15 says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see, the gospel of God about His Son is the greatest gift, the greatest spiritual gift that Paul can give. It is God's power to save all who believe, a gospel which Paul is totally unashamed, as he says in verse 16. It's the best gift that he can give and keep giving. He wants to come and share more and more about the gospel, more and more about this gift. And the more that they know about the gospel, the deeper they understand, are convicted and live out the gospel, the more they are strengthened. That's how they'll be strengthened, by the gospel. Now, this, this uh, faith that they have is in the gospel, and, and this harvest, no doubt, then refers to seeing people come to faith in the gospel. Maybe for the first time, but we know in the context he's writing to Christians. The harvest that Paul wants no doubt relates to non-Christians coming to faith, but in context it's about Christians being more fruitful in some way in their faith, right? And I think it means coming to know more and more, be more and more convicted, to be more and more joyful uh, about the gospel and even to see it lived out in their lives. Paul is super keen to visit these guys in Rome, to give them all of the gospel, to give them a spiritual fruit, to be mutually encouraged by the faith in the gospel and to see a harvest of gospel fruit in their lives. So that was, that's Paul, right? Now what about for us? What about implications for us? Now I don't think it's hard, right, for us to figure out the implications. Now Rome, Romans is one of those books which you don't have to do too much work to see how it directly applies to us. It's almost like every, every word, every verse applies to us. But the first thing I think we need to see here, first implication, before we go anywhere else, is to see that we need to come to believe in the gospel. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, God is inviting you to receive His gospel about His Son. He is calling you to put your faith in Jesus. Because the gospel is about God from God to you. It's about God from God to you. It is God's good news for you. It is God showing you and telling you His power to save you through His Son. Now maybe today is a day that you want to respond to God's call. And we'd love, dearly love to help you with that. We'd love to talk you through this. Uh, we'd love to give you uh, even more information about why it is that it is the power of God to save uh, if today is the day that you feel like you want to make that step to put your trust in Jesus, come and speak to me or Steve or one of us who brought you along here today to explain more about the gospel and to, to tell you how to go about receiving Christ. But if today is not a day that you're ready yet, I, I hope you'll continue coming. I hope that you'll keep reading on, right, into Romans 1:18 onwards. And read for yourself. Come back for the next three months and listen to, to God's word in Romans being preached, explain to you more about this gospel. For you to be convinced and to believe that the gospel really is the only power to save those who believe. So that's you. That's, that's an invitation for you to believe and to keep coming. Now secondly, if you are here today and you're already a believer, 
then I want to join Paul in thanking God for you. And I want to thank God that SLE Church is known as a gospel church where people here believe in Jesus. And I hope that in your coming today, you would have received a spiritual gift. Right? That you'll go home and you'll Facebook it or you'll Insta story it or you'll tell your family and friends that you received a spiritual gift today in being strengthened in your faith in the gospel. I hope that you'll be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Which is why we share with each other at the end of the sermon, in morning tea over lunch, about, about how how we've been impacted by the word of God about the gospel and how we are wanting to live it out in our lives. We can mutually encourage by our sharing after we finish here. And you know, we all know that evangelism means sharing the gospel. And we often assume that evangelism just means sharing the gospel to our non-Christian friends. But Paul is on about evangelizing Christians because Christians need the gospel also. Because we need the gospel more and deeper and with more conviction. So let's keep preaching the gospel to one another. That's the first thing, right? Believe. The second thing is to promote the gospel, just like Paul. Now, we are not exactly like Paul, are we? We are not apostles. We have not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ where he personally gave us a commission to preach to the Gentiles or the Jews or to anyone else for that matter. We have not been specially gifted to be a prophet, apostle, a preacher. We're not like Paul exactly, but we can be like Paul in many ways because the Word of God tells us that many of us are gifted with the ability to preach and to teach the gospel with clarity and with persuasiveness. Some of us here have the God-given ability to share the good news. In the human way of speaking, some of us have the gift of the gab, right? We can talk a lot. We can explain things well. Some of you here do really well in school, right? You're really great at oral presentations, at debating. You're really great, great, good at explaining to your friend right next to you about concepts that they find hard to understand. And for you, maybe you are gifted to be able to share the gospel with words. Some of you are really gifted to be able to read even apologetic material, things about answering the harder questions that people have about why is there suffering in the world? How can God be good if there is evil? You know, uh, what about science? Doesn't it disprove God? And you can read and you can synthesize and you can share. If God has given you that ability, use it. Now, the issue sometimes for us isn't about ability. It's about desire, isn't it? That we all have the ability. You get A's. You get sixes and sevens. Now, some of you even get threes and fours because you don't bother studying, but you're actually really smart. Sometimes we're gifted to be able to share the gospel, but we just don't because we're not keen. And I think Paul is saying to us, get keen, be eager. Now, others of us who are not so gifted, maybe we can still try to develop an ability to share, but there are other ways that we can promote the gospel as well. We can pray, can't we? For praying is drawing on the power of God. So don't look down on prayer. You might not be able to have the gift of the gab or be convincing in your speech, but you can pray. You don't have to be convincing to God. He knows your heart. In whatever jumbled up words that you have to pray for your family and friends, God hears and God will answer. We can also give. We can support the work of the gospel here in this church and wider in the city and in the world through organizations and missionaries. We can invite people to meet our Christian friends, invite people along to church. It's not hard to invite people. It might take a bit of uh, courage 
Right? You can invite them all to a movie or, or, or to, to a park easily enough, but you might feel a bit awkward and shy to invite them to church. Just takes a little bit of courage, but you can invite, isn't it? You can live attractively as well for the gospel. Now, when we say living attractively for the gospel, I don't just mean living a good life. That's not all of our things, right? Just be a nice person and people will be drawn to Jesus. I think it's a lot more than that. I think living attractively for the gospel is to live in a very distinctly Christ-like way. It's not just about being nice. It's about showing a sacrificial love that is very different from the selfish love of our world. It's about showing a level of mercy and grace and compassion to people that this world with its, with its ruthlessness doesn't show. It's about being able to forgive when you're wronged and have a forgiving spirit and a non-critical spirit to the people around you that can direct people to show the forgiveness that you received from God through Christ. It's about showing you care more for people and not for stuff, that you care more for spiritual things and not just material things, that you think and speak and hope for eternal things and draw people to think about those things. We can promote the gospel in so many ways. All of us can. The only question is, are you keen? Are you keen? Are you eager? Now, how keen we are is determined by what we understand the gospel to be. How keen we are is determined by whether we truly believe that the gospel is the most important subject matter, not just of the Christian faith, but of Human knowledge. Do you believe that? And does it shape your desire to share the gospel with others? Now this morning and in the weeks to come, God is trying to convince us that the gospel is the most important news to share. And, in, and, and, and with that, I hope that we'll come to believe more and more of the gospel and we'll come to be more and more keen to promote it and share it with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have chosen to reveal so clearly your gospel, which is about your son, uh, which is grounded in history, which is for everyone. We thank you that you reveal to us that it is the power to save all who believe, and there is no other. There is no other gospel, no other power that can save. We especially pray, Father, that you help us to believe whether it is for the first time, for those who have been seeking after you, who have been coming along to church for a while, or whether it is for the umpteenth time, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for us to believe in a more deep, deeper way, with more conviction, and in a way that really shapes our lives. And we pray too, that in knowing how this gospel is uh, the singularly most important thing, the best news that we have, that we will have an eagerness to promote and preach the gospel in any way we can. For those of us who are gifted to be able to share with words and explain the gospel and to answer people's hard questions, please help us to do that. Please help us to develop the ability and the courage and the eagerness to preach. For the rest of us who might be a little bit more uh, shy with our words or, or in our personality, please help us to find other ways to promote the gospel also, whether it is to pray or to give or to invite or to live in a way that really draws people to the gospel, we pray that you help us to be eager to do so. Please help us uh, to really appreciate what you've given us uh, and to share that on to others. We pray it in Jesus' name.